Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Dave Hollis. Who's that? You know, I'm so glad you asked. Dave Hollis is a New York Times bestselling author, host of the popular Rise Together podcast, a keynote speaker, and a life and business coach on Growth Day. Dave's history includes CEO of a media startup, former president of sales for the film studio at the Walt Disney Company. Maybe you've maybe you've heard of the Walt Disney Company. In our interview, I ask him about Airbud. I ask a really specific question about the Airbud franchise. So if you're into Airbud, you're going to be like, "What? This this episode really served a very detailed need." He was a talent manager across film, TV, and music, and worked in publicity, research, and technology in the entertainment sector. Dave's a father to four kids, a four-time foster parent, an avid runner, a sports memorabilia enthusiast, and drives a 1969 Ford Bronco. And he's also a friend. We've become friends over the last year. We've done a bunch of fun things together on Instagram. It's a really fun conversation that covers his new book, uh, Built Through Courage. It covers what do you do when you got haters online? How do you deal with that? It covers Air Bud, as I mentioned. So the conversation goes a lot of different places. I think you're going to love it. But first, a quick message about today's sponsor. Whether your engines have been running all winter long or you've been hibernating through the cold, let's talk about a food that will keep you going all season, macadamia nuts. Imagine enjoying macadamia nuts without having to go on a mission to find them among their distant cousins in the mixed nut package. A handful of these naturally buttery flavor bombs has the perfect calorie breakdown of proteins, healthy fatty acids, fiber, and a couple of carbs so you can snack without throwing yourself out of whack. You can get freshly roasted macadamia nuts in a variety of snack sizes from Yuguazi Macadamia. But you won't just get better macadamia nuts from Yuguazi. You'll also help build a better world. Yuguazi means knowledge in Zulu because this isn't just another nut brand. Yuguazi is a nonprofit whose primary mission is providing quality and affordable college education to African students. Yuguazi doesn't just give a percentage of profits to charity. All the profits from their 14,000 macadamia nut trees and their freshly roasted macadamia sales belong to Yuguazi International Christian University, a fully accredited nonprofit and Christian university in the kingdom of Eswatani. Order your next snack from buymacadamias.com. That's B-U-I-M-A-C-A-D-A-M-I-A-S.com. When you use the code John Acuff, let's spell that too, that's J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F. You'll get a free snack size package of roasted and lightly salted macadamia nuts with any order. That's buymacadamias.com. Use the code John Acuff. You can help build a better world while enjoying a healthy yet tasty snack of Yuguazi macadamia nuts. All right, let's jump right into my interview with Mr. Dave Hollis. Dave, I'm so excited that you're here with me today. We've been doing a bunch of fun stuff online, but this is official now. You're on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
Ah, oh, John, I would come and literally do anything with you outside of maybe paint the outside of your home. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you inviting like me into this sacred space. And uh, I love you, man. Let's go. Yeah, you've been in this room. You've actually been in this room. I should say we're not going to use this video because I've realized that I look too weird as I try to read these questions I've written. And so <laughs> it's not really the technology is there. We have the science. I just realize I'm like, what is this? So um that's why so feel free to make weird faces i should have said that earlier that should be in my standard disclaimer perfect you've been in this room i want to jump right in with the book um built through courage there's a tremendous amount of work that went into this book i as an author i can see like even just the illustrations and how illustration is used throughout it like that's not an easy thing to coordinate it's not an easy thing to plan it's not an easy thing to thread into content when did you start working on this book? Because there's a ton of work that went into it. Yeah. So I started working on it in March of 2020. And mm -hmm. I had an idea coming out of my first book that was all about getting out of your own way, that, hey, once you're out of your own way, you've identified the things that were holding you back or keeping you stuck. Uh, well, what do you do next? And so the idea of like having a conversation about courage, what it takes to be radically honest about where you are brave enough to cast a vision for where you want to go or what purpose you believe to be in your life, and then getting really specific and detailed into the tactical pieces that help you get from here to there, felt like the next best and right thing, what I couldn't have appreciated. I mean, one of the very, very first lines that I wrote for the book was this uh, question in this rush to return to normal. Let's use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to. What I didn't appreciate in March was that two months later, my uh, definition of normal would be turned on its head as my marriage came to an end. And I now had this window of writing that would have all of this conversation change in some ways because of the way that I was now, once again, processing identity shift and processing change and processing the kind of courage that's necessary to get back up and keep going when things you hope happen in certain ways don't necessarily turn out the way that you'd hope. And at least the the end of the marriage wasn't public. Like at least it didn't no, become com we kept commentary it online, quiet, which was nice. <laughs> you know, you want to be able to process harder, the hardest yeah, things yeah, in yeah, life by yourself. By yourself. Yeah. No, by yourself, yeah. why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're two months in. You're working on the project. I always tell people that the book you start to write is never the book you end up writing. Where are some some paths, some surprises that the writing process took you? That maybe again, like we talked about. Two months in, you're, you go through a divorce. You obviously weren't expecting that. But what were some other parts of the book that you'd go, wow, I started here and we ended up in a place that was the place it needed to be, but I didn't see, I didn't see that when I first sat down to outline this thing called the book. Yeah, I mean, there is so much of what you end up reading in this that was uh, in some ways happening in real time. I stopped writing, to be fair, when yeah. uh, the rug pull of divorce was introduced. I was incapacitated. I like My primary identity in so many ways, the, the strongest pillar of who I'd been was husband to her. And now that I was no longer who I'd been, I really struggled to have a handle on who I was meant to or was going to next be. So I put, I put the book down and started running. I put the book down and started sitting on a rock out in nature, having a conversation with our creator. I, 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 did, I did a lot of stuff that uh, was what I needed in real time to try and process the grief and come to grips with the identity stuff and, and understand my feelings. And I started writing, but it was journaling 
that was happening in a spiral bound notebook. I wrote, you know, like a, a book that like this, you turn in, it's maybe 65,000 words. I probably wrote 200,000 words between the end of May and, you know, call it end of September, where I was just every single day letting every single thing that was sitting inside of me come out on pages. And be it, uh, you know, something that might have been inspired by a book I was reading that was helping me have some kind of breakthrough or something that would come up in therapy that would have me seeing something that I hadn't previously been able to see in that light. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, cataloging these thoughts and some of them, right, like portions of them ultimately became fodder for, huh, there might be something in me sharing this part of my journey that would allow someone to see themselves in my story that maybe mm -hmm. in that empathy bridge affords them an opportunity to feel normal and in that normalness maybe have uh, an attempt to reach for some of the solution that I reached for in trying to create uh, sense out of something that at the time made no sense. And so it was, um, you know, it was not it was not for not having an outline of the book. I certainly had yeah. one, but the contents that would fill out that outline ended up becoming in so many ways, the aha moments, the breakthroughs, the miracles that were showing up in like little tiny, tiny ways with the people who'd show up inside of my life or the way that intentionally creating stillness or journaling for the first time or trying a new kind of therapy was revealing something that previously hadn't existed as a part of my consciousness or who I knew myself to be. So you've mentioned a couple of things that you did in response to, you know, a, a traumatic situation. Somebody listening today is, is going through something similar there, you know, there's a million different versions of, of something that catches us up off guard. What are some things that you'd say, you know what, here's, Here's a handful of things I tried. Running was one of them. It sounds like journaling was one of them. But what are some of the tools you picked up to say, okay, to make it through the storm of this season, to make it, you know, the seas are rough, to use a, a nautical metaphor. The book certainly has great nautical metaphors. What are some of the other things that you'd recommend people try as they process their own storm? Well, one of the first casualties for me in the end of an identity that I had known so well for most of my adult life was my imagination. I had a really hard time casting a vision for what next looked like now that it was certainly going to be different than it had been. And most of what was compromising that imagination was fear. And so I had to, first thing, really create a different kind of relationship with fear so that I could, in bringing it to the table, honoring that it existed, deconstruct some of what was just not rational fear. Okay, that's ridiculous. That's not a thing that is worthy of being afraid of necessarily. It's not real. It's, you know, imagined scenarios or stakes. And then uh, of the things that were real, make some plans. Like how might I equip myself to be prepared to face these very real fears that I do in fact have to walk toward in filling out this blank piece of paper that has been handed to me that is me attempting to become the author of what next looks like. And I've described that blank piece of paper as being uh, both terrifying and exhilarating. It was <laughs> very terrifying at the beginning. And yeah. over time, as I confronted my fear, it became less terrifying and more exhilarating because I felt agency. I felt empowered to connect to who I wanted to and who I felt like I needed to be now that I wasn't going to be who I'd been. So the first thing was just like developing a relationship with fear. The, the other thing though, that was really powerful and important in a world where that compromised imagination was having me struggle with long-term vision casting. I'd always been someone who could set like my five years from now goal. 
or my one year from now goal. And here my imagination was compromised in a way that had me incapable of seeing a year or five years in the future. I asked a different question and I turned it into uh, what do I need in this season? Right. And season for me was defined as 90 days in the future. And I asked it against each of the five dimensions of health. I was looking to simply create as a foundation, a thing I might be able to jump off from uh, the, the, the waters as it were had become so unmooring. And, and I was so, you know, just like, I, I had no equilibrium that I wanted to first create an opportunity to get steady so that I could ultimately start moving forward. And so against the backdrop of my physical, my mental, my emotional, my relational, and my spiritual health, I asked the very simple question, where I am today, knowing what I know of the circumstances of my life in real time, what do I need? Two or three things for each of those five dimensions that would allow me to 90 days from now make progress. Because at this point, like the thing I needed most was just progress, even if I didn't have a, a real clear vision of what I was headed to destination wise, I just needed to start moving. Because yeah. in motion, in some momentum, in some inertia, I knew, okay, I'm going to start getting something that feels like vision, something that feels like imagination, if I can just get this motor running. And so I made a list of, hey, here's what I need in my physical health and my mental health, my emotional health, spiritual health, relational health. And that became my daily routine. That became the mm -hmm. circle of people I needed to surround myself with, the boundaries I needed, the calendar that would fill up, the coping mechanisms I ought to have, the goals I was setting. Mm -hmm. They weren't long-term goals. They were short, short-term goals that were getting me closer to what ultimately might become a longer term goal. But in, in that compromised season, I just needed to create momentum. And that was a huge gift to be able to start. Now, it's curious. I've got a friend that I'm walking through a divorce with, a guy I love. And I text him and I pursue him. I call him and he says, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't text you back. And I always say to him, like, that you got pants on today is the win. Like, I'm, it's my job to text you. It's my job to pursue. So what advice would you have for somebody who's listening today who has a friend going through a divorce? Like, what does it look like for us to serve our friends who are in the middle of a divorce? The best thing that came from someone uh, happened to be a gift from my pastor at the time, eight weeks in a row, same 11 word text every mm -hmm. single day without a, a suggestion that a response was necessary. He sent these same 11 words every single day. What small piece of sadness can I hold for you today? And it was in this declaration of acknowledgement. Hey, I see your pain. I see your grief. I want to honor the fact that it exists. It didn't come with a solution. Hey, I know how to fix it. Here's a quick, here's a, here's a quick thing that worked for me. Or, you know, like, yeah. have you seen even, Pinterest? There's encouraging things on Pinterest. Yeah, no. And yeah. by the way, it didn't even suggest it was going to get better which to be honest was a really hard thing to hear when I was in the depths of my grief, because yeah. especially goodness gracious, if I was getting advice on how better it would become from someone who had not themselves been through divorce, I was like, Oh, will it? Okay. I'm going to take yeah. your Hallmark greeting and I'm going to go ahead and throw it in the garbage can because you have no idea what I'm experiencing or what you're talking about. But just the act of sending a quick note like that was this uh, offer of solidarity was this offer of walking alongside and a reminder of the, uh, hey, you're not alone. You, you have yeah. me here if you are interested in reaching out. And guess what? There were plenty of days at the beginning where I was like, no, 
I'm going to keep this Cal Ripken streak of crying alive. I'm just going to go ahead and get myself <laughs> yeah. up, get out on a rock, and yeah. go ahead and have myself a good cry. You don't and get a baseball I, card for that one, unfortunately. You don't, no, which feels no like, banner. honestly, Nobody gives you a banner. Look, Baltimore doesn't even recognize that. That's ridiculous. The city of Baltimore doesn't even recognize that. It's not right. I'm aware of. Not no, right. Not and right. maybe I'll start a, a, an act, uh, some kind of action for this. But um, it was just this beautiful thing that every once in a while I was like, you know what? Today does feel like the day. You want to go for a run together? And we, you know, yeah. grab our grab our shoes, run together and have a conversation. Knowing that he was there and that he was walking alongside was the greatest gift of all. One of the things I like about you, and and we've, we've done a bunch of Instagram stuff together, is uh, how silly and fun and ridiculous we get to be. Like we both, that's both a part of our personality. Like me making fun of you for never eat, having had a Pop-Tart. Like I, and that's really a parenting thing. If I had your parents on the podcast, that would be first, <laughs> second, third, fourth, fifth, last question. It'd be a short podcast, but I'd be, I would hammer them on that Pop-Tart issue. But I'm curious, what's the silliest thing in the last 18 months that's helped? Like that you would go, you know what? Like this is silly. But puzzles, man, puzzles or like, you know what? This is cheesy. I got a Thomas Kincaid po like painting and it's a thatch roof and he's the painter of light. I don't want to argue about it. The man painted light and it was encouraging or this song. Everybody thinks this song is weird, but this song is my jam. What's something that was maybe silly on the surface, but was actually like, wow, this is life giving. Oh, uh, it's so funny. As soon as you started talking and I can see the Legos behind you, like it took me to this place. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay? exactly. So yeah. number one, I just want to acknowledge it's been really hard to be this serious with you for 14 minutes. So yeah. it, like it feels yeah. very strange. Yeah, but we we're just silly I mean, as we want, normally we're are. We're, we're flowing. We're flowing in, oh, we're in flowing. between. Oh, yeah. we're in flow. I see. Yeah, I read a, I read a book on podcast. I saw a book on podcasting. I read the back cover. I almost lied there for a second and it said something about flow. And so flow. that's what I'm doing. I'm doing All right, flow. That's good. I love flow. Dang it. Uh, so when I was like lost, as in like I had lost myself, who am I now that I don't know who I'm going to be? I had to ask this question of like, who was I before I became who I'd become? Who was I before I became who I'd become? And I was asking it professionally, but it also brought me back to what I liked to do in hobbies, in like things that just brought me joy before the world was like, there's no place for joy here. Yeah. And baseball cards for me was one of those things. Like totally. I collected sports cards when I was growing up. And so like in the midst of just the deepest grief, I got back onto eBay. I mean, like, by the way, everyone, if you didn't know, eBay's still here. So, like, yeah. I, I had no idea. They're good still, for them. They're good still for them. doing auctions. I mean, good for <laughs> them. Staying power. But in a world where I hadn't bought a baseball card or a basketball card yeah. or anything in sports memorabilia in, you know, two decades worth of time, mm -hmm. that was the thing that gave me so much joy when I was coming up as a, as a kid, as a, you know, 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old, that I was like, you know what? I need something that is going to be, make me happy like I was happy as a child and I started buying boxes of wax packs like so nice. that I could open. And the thing is, like, I think the you're best. supposed to buy them now so you can store them. They like lose their value. The Why would I you store my joy? Why what would I store my about? joy? I need to open a box of 1986 Fleer basketball cards. Oh, are they expensive? Uh, it turns out that there's a bit of a price on things that are, you know, from my youth. But I was like, yeah, I don't care. I need to buy this old box of cards. And I opened it one little packet at a time. I bought a, I bought a box of 1981 Don Russ golf cards. 
Don I mean, Russ. I've never bought golf cards in my life, but there's a Jack Nicholson card that I was like, you know what? I want to open a pack. I want to find a Jack Nicholson. And for Father's Day, I'm going to give it to my dad. And that like the joy that I had in finding uh, that card in a pack that I opened. How many packs did you have to open to get to it? How many like more than half? To the, yeah, more, more than, than half. half. I mean, like they I, I really hold back oh, that Jack, they, don't they? they? Got up. I mean, honestly, they're not giving that Jack very. That's easy. regulated. It's that's not ridiculous. like that Ken Griffey Jr. where they printed a billion. And I, the right thing them. is, I can't talk about it, you know, supply demand or it makes my yeah. uh, the, the way that I feel about paying anything for anything cardboard go out the window. But yeah, it brought me joy. Well, I'm curious because I think there's a real fun like we talk about goals a lot on this podcast because it's right there in the name. But there's a real fun when you're an adult to buy something you couldn't afford as a kid. Which as a kid, unless you're like, I don't know, Ricky Schroeder and you got a train in your house and you're like driving around silver spoons, you can't afford most things. And so like for me, a Lego set, like I bought one the other day and it was a couple hundred bucks and I was like, I'm such a baller. Like, yeah, cause like are. the eight year old me was like, whoa, 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 that's expensive. And then the 45 year old me was like, we got it been a pretty good year right? we can afford lego sets you know any so lego funny? set you it's want small it's small things though john but this is so crazy so i grew up in a very modest household my parents mom stayed home dad was a carpenter yeah. four kids all within a year and a half of each other i don't know what they were doing but uh lots you of did not humans. come from money i didn't come from money okay ev as evidenced by the bag of toasted o's as yeah. opposed to cheerios that we ate yeah. and there are times when i'm like shopping at my local grocery store yeah. and I'll walk down the cereal aisle and I'm lactose intolerant. I, I can't even yeah. pour milk on the darn stuff. And yeah. I'm like, you know what, Dave, you deserve to get the actual box of Cheerios, my man. Like Top let's go shelf. ahead. And, let's fruit go ahead loops, and, not fruit circles. Yeah, no, I'm not getting the, the fruit circles anymore. I'm going for the loops. And there's yeah. something, there is something wildly satisfying yeah. about just a small difference between yeah. a $2 bag and the three fifty, you know, box. I, I love that. That's a, that's a joy we share. I'm curious, you've written a book. You and I talk about books a lot. If you had to say, okay, this is on my Mount Rushmore of books that have impacted me. So if I had a Mount Rushmore, these are the three or four books that, you know, they've impacted me. Sometimes the way I'll ask the question is, what's a book you've given away more than any other? But as you think about the books that, and not just in the last 18 months, um, but like in your life have had an impact, what are those books? Well, I mean, the two that really like were the entry for me in personal development. And by the way, like I was uh, adverse. I was skeptical of the Kool-Aid. I was very yeah. fixed mindset oriented and felt like in some ways, if you needed to read a book, uh, there must be something wrong with you as opposed to it being a thing that takes great people to greater places. And so mm -hmm. uh, I didn't really get into the reading game for a long, long time, but I jumped into personal development with Mindset by Carol Dweck and yeah. Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And so like oh, those yeah. two for me, like as an entry, they were huge because of how important your mindset ends up being and how understanding the way your habit loop ends up working are like pivotal blocks for every single other thing that you end up doing, whether it's successfully having goals that you can actually achieve or anything else. I mean, not that, you know, I, you know, this is a book in terms of reading, but like Girl, Wash Your Face, a book that mm -hmm. Rachel wrote, was a very influential book in my life. And that like a lot of things that happened in my life, both good and bad, came as a result of that book. So that was, you know, like a big book for me. But um, in this last year, I can say 
in a, in a world where I have been doing a lot of work to understand self and who I am relative to what I think and feel, Untethered Soul uh, was a really important book, not necessarily a new book, but uh, uh, an important book in, in terms of me as the person who is the observer of my thoughts, not my thoughts, the observer of my emotions, not my emotions. Huge idea. Um, the Power of Now by uh, Eckhart Tolle, uh, you know, just like it, appreciating where we are without necessarily lamenting where we've been or, uh, you know, spending a ton of time anxiety-wise uh, worrying about what's next. We can't control those things anyway. So, uh, you know, how do you kind of spend time where your feet are? Those sounds like great ones. Those, what, yeah, any fiction, ones. any fiction come to mind? It's so weird because I've only really read nonfiction for the last five or six years. I mean, like yeah. the last fiction thing I read was probably like a Da Vinci code or, you know, like yeah. it's, it's been too long. I, I don't, I don't read fiction that often. Cause that was actually a setup question. I'd like to go through a list of things that the world loves that Dave Hollis doesn't Here care Here we go. For. Let's go. Um, yeah. I mean, like it definitely like, wasn't Harry Potter. I'll tell you that much. That's first one on the list. That's first one on the list. I went like, and <laughs> so like, I would say Harry Potter. Um, I'm just going to say some popular things that, that fill people's hearts and you tell me you don't like them. Um, oh, or yeah. just give me your natural reaction. Harry Perfect. Potter. Never read it. Never will. Not a single page. Not one page. I wouldn't dare. Harry's not even a wizard in your world. He's just a muggle living under the stairs. Oh, uh, no. The only Harry I know is Grandpa Harry. God rest his soul. He was a, a wrenchman on a, on a big old tractor. I don't even know what that means, but it doesn't sound like a good book. He wore a cowboy hat and liked to kiss on the lips. I'll tell you what, his mustache <laughs> to the day he died was prickly. That's so funny. Okay, um, Lord of the Rings. Would never. I've watched one. <laughs> I, I, want my, I want that time back. I want to reclaim my time for the one that I had to sit through. It uh. was, I mean, I don't, this is not hyperbole. Uh, it was nine days of the worst day of my life. I, it just, it was, it was the worst. You were, did you have to watch it for work? To scout when you were no, at Disney? Were you guys trying to, to watch steal it. wizard ideas? No, Rachel wanted to watch it while we were still dating and I was yeah. still uh, Oh yeah, you were going to, whatever she wanted to watch. Yeah, you would have been like the notebook, put it on back oh, to back. I want to watch Number it. one, if you're listening and you're like deciding on whether you want to get into the Lord of the Rings franchise or watch the notebook, uh, your boy Dave here is going to let you know the notebook is the way to go. <laughs> Seven days a week and twice on Sundays. Come that on. That is some, not okay, so now we're going to transition into um, movies. Star Wars. What are your, like, Star Wars? It's complicated. It's complicated. Here's the thing. Yeah, I would it's complicated. Not, I would not voluntarily take myself or my children to a Star Wars movie, but I also have some small bias because at the end of my time at the Walt Disney Company, Force Awakens was a spectacular thing to be part of. I, like, I stood yeah. in a theater with the cast as the people were losing their minds in the first show. And it was... Okay, so you're standing there. Let's let's paint that picture because you're the first um, guest on this podcast that's had that exact experience. Um, not everybody I talked to is like, oh, I remember when that happened. So paint the picture for us. You're in LA, Burbank. That's a place, right? In LA at a theater okay. called the El Capitan. Okay. And of all things, it's such a random uh, fact that will not matter to anyone. But at the time I was with my assigned executive mentor, a person named Tom Staggs, who at the time okay. was the chief operating officer of the Walt Disney Company and the acknowledged successor at the time to Bob Iger. Who so you guys had assigned like mentors? 
That's right. So oh. I, as the president of distribution, had someone yeah. that was on the, the C-suite that I'd been yeah. assigned to, and he was amazing, and I had a, a regular update, and our time started in a like g- dressing room where we had like, a very bizarre goblet uh, of wine that we toasted each other with. He had a yeah. sword for some reason. It's in a picture. Yeah. And uh, we then walked to the back of the auditorium. I, breaking all kinds of rules, recorded the scene because it was record worthy and it was bonkers. Where's the cast? Are you next? Are they standing too? Like who's watching the film? Like normal people? So these are people that had slept outside in their costumes for days on Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, like this was, oh, super fan, super fan, super fans. And we've got Walker, you know, like all of the walk around costume characters are there. You know, the actual, like the actual humans from the film are there. And there, you know, it's like, they've, they've done uh, uh, like walk through uh, the press and all of that. And now they come in, make their quick appearance up on the main stage, step off of said main stage, lights go down, you hear the music, you know, it's like that, that, that dang, you know, that very uh, first beat. The people start and screaming. People lost their mind. And so for me, that uh, was like, look, I'm not even into this franchise. I am not someone that even like indulges yeah. or enjoys. I wouldn't sleep outside for it or probably, probably almost anything. And mm-hmm. yet it was amazing. It was a miracle moment in filmmaking to be standing in a theater as these people were having a dream come true. And the movie was amazing. I mean, that movie actually ended up exceeding expectations when it was almost impossible to exceed oh yeah that was that one had a tough tough that was a high bar it's a uh, star wars sets a high bar and i i should have mentioned that and i probably will mention that in the intro working for disney which is just amazing which gives me a follow-up question um that i'm just gonna go right to with no transition did you ever adopt an airbud <laughs> i knew that, that airbud was gonna come up in this yeah Course. Well, as uh, if you're if you're a longtime fan, uh, first time uh, caller to the John and Dave show, you know that this is a thing. But when I was working at Disney, we did in fact have a franchise called Air Bud. It was a direct to DVD thing that had many movies made. But at first, I mean, first one was a cinematic release, right? Initial Air Bud, right to theaters, right? Was it? I it feel was like before, it was. It, it may have been before my time. But it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, I think it, I mean. All right, well, here's the thing. I only I worked on the I just don't want to diminish Air Bud. I'm not trying to take a, a single thing away from the Air Bud. Okay. Air Bud is, okay. a, I mean, it's a thing that deserves the reverence it deserves. But I, uh, as a part of seeing successive releases, also was witness to the way that after each production, the people who worked in my building were given opportunities to adopt Air Bud dogs. And by the time you get through seven movies, Darn near half the building had or knew someone who had one of those puppies, and they all can dunk. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I think that's what's really interesting is that there's not a sport Airbud's bad at. No, because I'm think your franchise worked through like a lot of like eventually it was like Airbud field hockey. Oh and no, it was huge. like whoa or Airbud highlight. Yeah, um, where he was just like wearing a highlight that big sleeve they threw the balls with. I told you that the one time the, the, the guy who invented Airbud rolled in for the uh, renegotiation or the extension of the contract of more Airbuds. Yeah. We're up in the building, the one that has the dwarfs holding up the ceiling. And he yeah. pulls in in an Audi A8, which is like that like two-door awesome sports car. And Are, everyone Do you think room, he was in an R8? Are you saying oh, he sorry, was in an R8? R8. Yeah. Excuse me, an yeah. R8. The that, A8 the, is a sedan. Yeah, no, no, no. This is the R8. Yeah. The Iron Man. The yeah, Iron the, Man. I, in the Iron Man car. Yeah. And from that now, like fifth floor window that we're looking down from a conference room where he's coming in to negotiate, we're like, 
dude, you should have drove the yeah. Corolla, brother. You should have drove yeah. the Corolla to the <laughs> lot. You can't drive the R8 into a renegotiation, no. man. That's that Steve Jobs where it's like hide the Porsche behind the building. Like, 100%. like don't like you don't drive the Lambo to the renegotiation, which I never do. No, um, you've been to my house. There's it's crawling with supercars, um, exotics for days. I didn't know what, that you had so many where the doors go up. It's really I don't I mean, like, like not regular out, doors. But up. Yeah, regular. Yeah, regular doors. No, that's for unsuccessful people. I need scissor or suicide doors. I'll oh. accept either one. Um, yeah. I want them to open like a katana sword. Is what I tell the dealer when I call up the dealer. I say, "You got any of them katana sword doors?" And he says, "I do, sir. I do." I absolutely, I absolutely love that. So I'm curious, you've worked on a ton of different things in your life. The question I get sometimes when I'm on podcasts is like, what's our, my morning routine? Is there a part of your day that has a routine that you're like, yeah, I try to do a handful of these things every day? Or Because I think sometimes when you're, you know, somebody who writes books like we write or is an influencer or whatever, there's this thought that like you have a very set rigid 2 a.m. you're doing burpees. What's your, what's your morning routine like? My morning routine, I mean, I try to start my morning routine the night before because I need sleep. Uh, I've not got sleep a couple times recently. I'll tell you what, it's not good. Uh, doesn't end well. does not no, end well. It doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. And when you don't get sleep, I'm going to just tell you right now, don't do a live stream. But yeah. uh, my, my, uh, my morning routine tends to happen the night before where I'm trying to get to sleep in, a, in, the, in a kind of around the same time each night so that I can get the kind of sleep I know I need. I'm up. How around, many hours of sleep are you shooting for? What's your, give me a number. For, I'm shooting for eight. You know, yeah, that's I'm pretty shooting, good. Yeah, I'm shooting for eight. I try to get to bed by 10, up by six. And uh, I, you know, when I have the kids, I'm now half the time with the kids, half the time without. I am, you know, like up so that I can for about 30 minutes before I have to get them going. Get my coffee started. Seven minutes of coffee drip means I got seven minutes to do my gratitude. I take that cup of coffee. I'll go sit out back and have a little bit of silent time. I might listen to some music, but for the most part, it's like my attempt to get to as neutral a place as I can before I open up my calendar and take a look at what the day has in store. Try to set something of an intention for the day. Mm -hmm. I'll then get the kids up and uh, start getting breakfast going while I get my workout stuff on. And if I have a workout that I can do at the house, then I'll tend to try and get it going before I've got to take them to school. If not, get them going, get them to school. As soon as we're done, I will do my workout. And I attempted to combine body movement with giving thought to the things that are happening in my day, like playing out a little bit of, oh, I've got this conversation, or I've got to write this piece, or I've got to work on this thing. And gaming it, workshopping it a little bit while I'm doing a run or doing, you know, a body or what, you know, moving my body, whatever it might be, uh, tends to be the way that I'll start. And then I will, for the most part, I tend to try and organize my calendar in priority for strength order so that the thing that is most important to moving the needle on all the rest of my day life is the thing that's happening first. And then the thing that's next important is happening next. I mean, when we have a day like today, today's a, a little bit more of a batched podcast day. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll talk to you any time of the day. Thank you very much. But if it's a day where I'm writing or a day where I'm creating in some kind of way, the thing that is most important for me to create is the thing I want to do first because I get some kind of motivation fatigue, a little bit of creative fatigue as the day yeah. goes by. Um, I, I have the luxury with the weird thing that we do for work that I work out of my house for the most part. And I try to block time for individual tasks and take each next task in a new place. Mm 
Ah, so okay. I'll work in my room if I'm writing, and then I'll come in here in the office if I have something that I'm going to do in terms of a meeting. But there's something about creating a new physical environment that allows my brain to focus on it in a way that lets me leave whatever I was working on next behind in that other room. And so uh, I'll jump kind of, you know, space to space. And, uh, and that's it. So I'm, I, I love hearing that. And I love hearing the, the idea of creative fatigue, because I think that's such a smart thing versus forcing st- something to happen when it's past the point it's going to happen. And I, I've seen you do that. We've, we've had the benefit to be friends um, for the last year or so, which has just been a blast. And one of the things we joked about in one of our online kind of Instagram um, catch-ups was when people tell you terrible things other people have said about you. Like the example we use was somebody was like, oh, Dave, have you seen such and such said? And it's like, I didn't, but now I'm going to obsessively look at it. I didn't need to know that. That's not helpful. Like it's a weird thing to say to a human, but I think it's, I think it's honest and true to say you've had people say mean things about you online. The average person won't experience the volume of people being just jerks. Yeah. What advice, because there's people listening right now that'll go, I want to write a book or I want to do start a business, but who am I? What if people criticize it? There's a lot of people that don't write books because they're afraid of a one-star review. As someone who's experienced more than their fair share of that, what, what advice do you have? Like, how do you weather that? How do you, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, in terms of dealing with it, other than my encouragement, I text well, you. I texted you last week. I was like, "Hey, dude!" So, like, other than my which very has been well-timed. life-giving, John. Yeah, honestly, I, knew, I, I, I knew barely that. made it through, and you were the thing. <laughs> you were the thing. I know. That. I, know that. Uh, I know your parents are important. I know your girlfriend's helpful. I know your therapist is helpful, but yeah. also my text, John. But that's right. I got you. I it's got real. you. I mean, the, the 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 biggest and maybe most important thing is having some discipline around what you allow yourself to see. Someone will say like, oh, hey, there's a a BuzzFeed article about you, Dave. And I'm like, oh, are they doing a a profile on how awesome I am? No. Oh, it's a hit piece? Fantastic. It's not Uh, not going to be positive, dude. It's not 10 reasons we love Dave that you didn't know. 10 other great things about Dave you've never thought of. Hey, Dave, there's a, there, there's a, a Reddit community about you. Oh, are they a fan community? No. These people wake up each day with a sole uh, mission to just put you into a trash can. I'm like, okay, It good. makes me sweaty to hear you say these words. No, and, and the I, thing is, I just can't, I just, I can't go and see those things because yeah. they don't serve me. They don't help me. And also, they don't know me. They, they're, they, yeah. they're, they're writing about things that aren't even connected to a universe that I live inside of. And so the first thing is just like having some restraint. And it's hard because especially yeah. like with the way social is, it's hard to not see the comments on your own feed. And in real time, I'll tell you what, like I'm going through a little window of uh, taking a break from social. And I <laughs> yeah. got to tell you, yeah. I'm not missing it that much. Yeah. Uh, you know, like yeah. it's been nice actually to have some permission to step away, slow down and not have to consume every single thing that someone says. But truly what, it's, what, it, what it starts with is this recognition that if you don't want to be criticized, don't create anything because mm-hmm. creation comes with a price of entry and that is criticism. Like it, it's just like, it's a guarantee that it's going to yeah. happen. But what ends up happening most often is that our humanity, in in an effort for us to try and pursue helping 100 people, the thing that we've created may in fact only be intended for 90. 
And 10 people of that 100 will, in fact, um, not only not like it, they might hate it. And by proxy, they might hate you. And instead of focusing on the 90 people that this thing that you're creating was actually intended for, and, and by the way, 90 could even be generous, but yeah, it instead could be of 20. focusing, it could be, yeah, right? But instead of focusing on the, on the 90 that it's for, we get so worried about the 10 that it's not for that we don't create or we slow ourselves down or we alter what we're going to say so that we can try and convince the 10 to come over to the side of the 90. And, and it ends up working against us or keeps us from creating in the first place. And you just have to get to some kind of place where you say, you know what? I am here because of these gifts. These gifts were meant for me to use. I've been gifted these gifts, so I, I might gift them. And I am also not free ice cream. Like you're, you're just not going to be something that will be universally loved by all people. Mm -hmm. And when you can accept that, it just gives you permission to create. And um, it doesn't make it easy. And certainly your insecurities will be triggered because as it turns out, the critics tend to actually use the language that you yourself use as the critic inside. And so when you see someone else saying the things that you in your lowest moments, in your most unsure uh, moments, in your moments of doubt are also saying, it yeah. feels very much like, oh, they figured me out. They've, they've, it's they've the got worst me. confirmation. It. it feels it's like the worst, the worst confirmation, confirmation ever. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's like they're reading your negative diary and you're yeah, like, 100%. oh, no, they found the cheat code to my worst moment and they're, they're parodying it back to myself. Oh, my gosh. I've never... I've never thought about it in that in that exact way. But I'll tell you this, just like to bring it back to Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit for just a second. Like, just because I don't like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit yeah. doesn't in any way mean that it's not a good movie. It just means it's a movie that I don't like. And yeah. there's no way that the people who made The Hobbit are worried about whether or not it not being a genre of film that I like yeah. would keep them from making it in the first place because they've got millions and millions of people as evidence of it being a thing that definitely works. They've won yeah. awards and broken box office records. Done well. And also, I don't like it. And that doesn't make yeah. it unlikable. It just means it's not for me. And so like, yeah. you're going to make something. And if it does get 51 star reviews, but ends up also being the resource that one person desperately needed to keep themselves from taking their life. You better write that book. <laughs> you yeah. better, you better heed that call because it's not about the people it wasn't for. It's about the one that it is. And that's like, if you can stay connected to that, it's everything. When I was doing, sorry, this is a long answer to a question you asked 40 minutes ago, John, I did a book tour, a book tour, like a, like a city by city greet and meet and greet kind of thing during launch mm -hmm. week. And it was a kind of a last minute pivot for, you know, what had previously been a, a planned press week. And we ended up doing press in these five different markets. We ended up seeing fans in, in five different markets, signing pictures, hugs. And it was wild because in every single market, there was one person who was able to, because of the intimacy of, you know, 100 person events, was able to tell like, hey, this is the actual impact that your work has had in my life. And there was this instance in Denver, the day after the book came out, it was the same day that a flood of one star, not, uh, you know, confirmed purchasers on Amazon just started flooding, uh, you know, on the Amazon site. And I, I saw the, all these reviews and I was like, oh, this is going to definitely tell people this is not the book for them. And I was deep in my self-doubt and that critic was chirping. And I get to this event 
And, you know, 15 minutes in, this person walks up. His name was Marcus. And he, like, I reached my hand out to shake his hand. Thank you for being there. And he puts his arms out like, no, brother, we're going to hug. And he gave me this hug that, like, wouldn't let go. And he was crying. And it was this beautiful, this, like, miracle of, like, in this moment where I was questioning whether there was worthiness in the work or I was qualified to do it, there was this real-time affirmation from a dude named Marcus that was like, you don't even know, man. You don't even know the way that you showing up, sometimes with something funny and ridiculous with John, sometimes with mm-hmm. you having a post that would connect, sometimes with you being serious. But like, I, he was a 20-year special ops vet, and there was a lot of PTSD that he was still working through. And there was something, for whatever reason, in my voice, of all things, that helped him through. And I would have never, ever even guessed it. And I would have never known if I hadn't actually shown up into town, Mm -hmm. but in a weird way where I was like, God, I want to measure success in volume. It was success as measured in person, a single person Mm -hmm. whose life was affected by the work. And it made the question of like, is it worth it? A dumb question, because of course it was in that minute. And Marcus would say, Marcus would certainly say it was, which is, I think a, a fun a fun place for us to end because you can write like write the book for yourself, do the podcast for yourself, do the goal for yourself, but no, there's always a Marcus. And most of the time, you don't even get to meet the Marcus. Yeah. There's rare times where you get to meet somebody who listens to your podcast you didn't even know about. You get to meet a Marcus. You get to know that somebody in your town was inspired by your weight loss journey. There's always a Marcus. Most of the time, you don't get to see them. It's awesome that you actually got to. Last question that I always ask people that have lots of stuff going on. Where can people find out more about you, connect with the book? What's the, what's the I'm curious about more about Dave Hollis. Where do they go? So if you go to johnacuff.me, uh, yeah. I uh, it's acuff.me. I don't, oh. let's, let's, I'm not, what am I made of money? I can't oh, afford so- the full name. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Oh, I didn't realize that. (laughs) Never mind. Okay, forget that. You can go to MrDaveHollis.com then if it's not what I thought it was. Uh, There's a bunch of detail of all the things that I am working on. Uh, Mr. Dave Hollis is the handle on Instagram where I tend to spend my time. John and I like to get together, have conversations on Fridays. So you're welcome to catch up with us on Friday. But uh, and you've got a podcast. I've been on your podcast. You have. So it's you've got a great Rise podcast. Together. That's right. It comes out on Thursdays. And uh, it is an attempt to bring people with varied experiences into a, a single place where maybe some of the differences that they have uh, that they have or the, the way that they have had life show up for them uh, gives you a little bit of permission to think that you can also get through things that they have gotten through or uh, maybe create some empathy for the different way that they have done life soften some of the sharper edges of our hearts. So uh, that's right. Thursdays rise together. Yeah, People, podcast listeners love discovering new podcasts. So Dave, thank you so much for uh, joining me. We covered a lot of things. I guarantee that even in the midst of all these amazing podcasts you've been on, because you're doing so many, this is probably the first Air Bud conversation you got to have, which I feel like was a Marcus moment in its own way. Huge. Um, Honestly, like of the things, yeah, I was falling asleep last night. Like, what do I hope to come from this John Acuff interview tomorrow yeah. on yeah. the Goal podcast? And I was like, I just hope Airbud comes up. That's exactly. It. That's There's wanted. a lot of people dreams, that are, you're, you're a dream. You, you make dreams come true, man. Dream giver, that. not a dream snatcher. That's no. my, uh, I try to be a dream giver, not a dream snatcher. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. It's great seeing you, buddy. You too, brother. Love you, man. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Dave Hollis today. We'll put all the links in the show notes. 
as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. I can't say it's new anymore because we've actually had it for a full year, which is amazing. Thank you for listening to every episode and liking them and subscribing and doing all the things that come with having a podcast. I really, really appreciate that. So please make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever it is the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. Last but not least, big thank you once again to our sponsor, Uguazi Macadamia. Visit buymacadamias.com and use the code John Acuff to get a free snack size package of roasted and lightly salted macadamia nuts with any order. That's it for this week. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. podcast.